0: Hello and welcome back to Beniah, Mighty Man of God by P.H. Thompson, an audio book. This is chapter 17. Now David said, Whoever attacks the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. And Joab, the son of Zariah, went up first and became chief. Then David dwelt in the stronghold. Therefore they called it the city of David. 1 Chronicles 11, 6-7 Nathan the prophet was summoned. Beniah wondered what concerns the king would have that the prophet could help him with. Nathan entered the dining hall. The man was in his forties with a full beard and piercing eyes that took in the room. He carried himself with confidence. What's troubling you, my lord? he asked gently. David's brows furrowed. Since the lord established my throne over all Israel and has given me rest from my enemies, I need to consider my dwelling place. What of it, my lord? I look around at this opulent palace lined with cedar walls, and then I think of the Ark of God. It's still inside tent curtains. That doesn't seem right. I think it's time we had a permanent place of worship. Beniah agreed. It had been that way since their sojourn in the wilderness with, when the children of Israel came up out of Egypt. A proper temple would speak of permanence and better reflect the glory of their great God. Nathan seemed to consider this briefly, then said, I am sure if God has put the idea in your mind, it must be what he desires, since he is with you. David smiled. Thank you, my friend. I will begin the designs today. Nathan bowed before the king and left. David commanded Shemaiah the scribe to come and record his ideas. I want to use only the best cedars, those from Lebanon. Write letters to King Hiram asking how many he can provide for us and at what cost. The scribe dutifully recorded that that, and David's other instructions. After several hours of dictation, a servant entered and announced, Nathan the prophet has returned, my lord. Nathan appeared at the entrance to the common room, wringing his hands. What is it, my friend? David asked. You seem distressed. I spoke before I consulted with the lord. He sent me back to give you this message. Thus says the lord to his servant David. At that, David immediately fell to the floor, prostrate as he heard the the pronouncement through the prophet. Shemaiah put his reed pen to the papyrus, awaiting the prophet's words. Would you build a house for me to live in? I haven't lived in a house since I brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. My dwelling has always been the tabernacle. In all the time I moved about with them, have I ever asked anyone from any tribe to build me a house of cedar? Benaiah also bowed to the ground, amazed at hearing the words of God directly. The Lord was surely with David, as he had been with the patriarchs, and here he was, privileged to witness it. Nathan continued relaying God's words for David. I took you from tending sheep to tending my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you went and have defeated your enemies. I've made your name great among the nations. How true! The blessing of God on David and through him to the nations was evident. In time I will appoint a place of their own and plant them there so they won't have to move any more, nor will they be oppressed as they were during the times of the judges. I have brought you to this time of rest, and I will build you a house. This confirmed how the family of David had been chosen by God to be the kind of leaders Israel needed. When your time has come to rest, as your fathers did, I will set up your seed after you, and I will establish his kingdom. He will be the one to build my house, and I'll establish his kingdom forever. I'll be his father, and he'll be my son. If he sins, I'll chasten him by the hand of his neighbors, but my mercy will not leave him, as I took it from Saul. Your house and your kingdom will be established forever. Such lofty promises. Someone from David's family would sit on the throne of Israel forever? Such a person could only be the Messiah. Nathan left as quietly as he had arrived. For several moments David remained prostrate on the floor. Then he rose slowly, as if weighed down by the words pronounced over him. Beniah helped David to his feet. Almost in a daze, David announced, I must go to the tabernacle. Beniah and Shemiah followed him there and stood at a distance while David sat in the courtyard before the Lord near the altar of sacrifice. It was not usual to sit while praying, but this was not a usual day. Who am I, O God, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? David cried out. Benaiah felt as if he were intruding on holiness itself as he witnessed the intimacy of the shepherd king with his God. But his job was to stay by David's side at all times. He would guard David even here where there was an expectation of safety. You have given me such promises to generations of my family and spoken of me as if I am a man of importance. I don't know what to say, but then you know me. You've not only done all these things, but you've let me know about them in advance. You are a great God, and there is no one like you. Benaiah shooed away several priests who entered the courtyard. Who is like your people Israel, the one nation whom God sent out to redeem for himself in order to make his name great? You redeemed your people from Egypt and their gods. You've made us your very own people, and you've become our God. Benaiah closed his eyes and raised his hands toward heaven, agreeing in his heart with all that David said. Now, Lord God, do as you've said, and establish the house of David. Magnify your name forever. Amen, Benaiah agreed. After David finished praying, he and Benaiah remained there for some time, basking in the peace of the experience, Benaiah had never seen David so humble before God, and he felt an even greater respect and love toward his friend and king. Surprisingly, Benaiah felt even more drained by this experience than when he fought against the lion in a pit on a snowy day. He had heard the very words of God. Even if he had become a priest, Benaiah knew he would never have experienced God the way he had this day. A commotion at the door of the common room drew Benaiah's attention away from the busyness of the day. There there were at least a dozen cases per day from the people that required David's judgment. The two guards posted at the door glanced at one another as if unsure what to do. We must see the king, two burly men demanded. Rarely did anyone demand an audience with King David, but the gift the men brought caused such consternation. They carried a human head between them, dangling it by the hair, the poor man's facial features frozen in fear. David nodded his approval, and the guards allowed the men to enter. A servant shared whispers between them, and then announced them as Rechab and Baena, Be- sons of Rimon the Barathite, of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was King Saul's tribe. They approached the throne where David sat and bowed low to the ground. The gruesome trophy between them thumped on the floor, evoking gasps of shock and disgust from those in the common room. The few women present turned their heads away in horror. My lord King David, we are captains of the troops of ish son of Saul. We went to his house in the middle of the day on a pretense of needing supplies. We entered his bedchamber, stabbed him, and then beheaded him. Then we escaped and ran throughout the plains all night to come and inform you. Rechab recounted the event in almost one long breath, as though still winded from his journey. Baena raised the gory prize for David to appreciate. Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. You are now avenged of Saul and his descendants. Even without a glance at the king, Benaiah knew what David's response would be. He would spared Saul twice, grieved the king's death, executed the man who claimed to kill him, and mourned the deaths of Saul's sons and Abner, Saul's general. David would certainly not praise these men for their treachery. David had made a covenant with Saul and Jonathan, promising he would not execute Saul's descendants when he rose to power. People would naturally assume David was behind the murder of Ishbosheth. They'd believe he was removing any rivals to the throne of Israel, especially since the killers had made a show of bringing his head to David as a prize, as if he required proof the deed had been done as he'd ordered. I swear, David said through clenched teeth, when someone came and reported that Saul was dead, assuming I'd think it was good news, I had him executed in Ziklag. Color drained from the men's faces. Bayana released Ishbosheth's head and let it fall to the ground with a wet thud. It rolled and glared up at him with open eyes and large fixed pupils. How much worse, David continued, when wicked men have killed an innocent man in his own house on his bed. His blood is required of you, and you will be removed from the earth. Before the sons of Rimen could protest or beg for their lives, two soldiers seized them, secured their arms behind them, and forced them to their knees. When David nodded to Benaiah, he unsheathed his sword and struck them down with two smooth strokes. The bodies were quickly dragged out of the room, blood trailing behind them. Servants scurried to remove the evidence of the encounter. When one came to ish head on the floor, he looked to David. What would you have us do with this, my lord? Bury it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. David ran his hand over his mouth and beard and rose. I need to tell Mikal about her brother before she hears it from someone else. He whispered so quietly, no one but Benaya could hear. Benaya did not envy David that task, especially since their first conversation went so poorly. Would she believe David innocent in her brother's assassination? How was your day, my love? Mariah asked as she greeted him at the door. The usual. Benaya removed his sword and placed it on the wall hooks. "'then picked up little Maytel, kissed her chubby cheek, "'and deposited her back on the reed mat to play. "'How can you say that?' Mariah huffed. "'I saw the gruesome bodies hanging by the pool in the centre of town, "'with their hands and feet cut off. "'Everyone is talking about how these men brought the head of Ishbosheth before David, "'and he then had them executed for it. "'If you already know, then I don't need to tell you the details. "'Where are the boys?' "'They're next door.' She followed him into the cooking room, where he took several dates to snack on. Were you there? Of course. If David is involved, I am as well. So were you the one who killed them? Mariah, I am the executioner. If David gives the order to execute someone, I do it. Then they were publicly displayed to show David's displeasure at the assassination of the prince. Mariah ladled stew into bowls and placed them on the table. I don't know how you can bear so much killing. I mean, I know you've killed soldiers in battle, but to take the life of someone who isn't fighting you back doesn't seem fair. Benaiah took his wife's small hands in his rough calloused ones. The fairness of it is not my decision. That responsibility rests with David. Most kings would remove any rivals to the throne and think nothing of it. People wouldn't be surprised if he'd taken revenge on the family of Saul for all the years of trouble he caused, but David didn't. These men confessed, even bragged about their crime in front of witnesses. Executing them was the only thing David could do. Moriah studied her husband for a moment. I hadn't thought of that. Benaiah continued. He needed to send a strong message to Israel that he wasn't a part of the assassination of Ishbosheth. Israel is still reeling from Abner's recent death, and there are some who still believe David had a hand in it. Moriah nodded. It's easier to follow orders when you agree with what he's decided, isn't it? That much was true. Yes, but I respect David. He has proven himself time and again to be the kind of leader our nation needs. He hasn't always done things the way I would have, but Yahweh has honored his obedience. In the same way, I have to obey him. I am his servant. When I do my job well and obey without questioning, I am serving God as well. Mariah smiled. Okay, no more questions. Kiss your wife and call the children for dinner. She winked. Beniah sat down and pulled his wife onto his lap. Now that's an order I'll happily obey. Ahithophel, David's chief counselor, was summoned to the common room in Hebron to consult with David about matters of state. Beniah knew David respected the elder man's knowledge and wisdom. He had even said that Ahithophel's advice was as sound as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. He was father to Eliam, who was also one of the mighty men, the thirty soldiers David chose while still on the run from Saul to carry out particular missions. As one of the mighty men himself, Benaiah was in a trusted position to hear about the affairs of the kingdom. Now that it was determined that Israel and Judah would be united under King David, they needed to discuss the choice of a new capital city. To remain in Hebron won't do, Ahithophel stated, as he stood before the king. Neither will the northern capital of Samaria. Choosing one city over another will upset this image of unity between Judah and Israel that you want to project. There should be no hint of favoritism in either direction. What do you suggest? David asked. Perhaps a new capital, one that demonstrates a new beginning, your continuing conquest of the land and defeat of our enemies. Jerusalem would be a fine capital, my lord. David stroked his beard as he considered it. The fortress of the Jebusites is highly fortified. No nation has been able to take it because of its great walls and its deep cisterns, which give its citizens the ability to withstand a long siege. Perhaps you could present it as a challenge to the military, Ahithophel suggested. Whoever takes Jerusalem could be the commander of the host of the armies of a united Israel. I know a certain ambitious general who would pounce on the chance to redeem himself in my eyes, David surmised. Benaiah had no doubt that Joab would accept the mission. He was brave, and his ambition was greater still. Joab also knew David had not yet forgiven him for Abner's murder, but the capture of this city would surely please the king. Very well, then. I will bring this before the Lord. Benaiah had no doubt that the city of Jerusalem could eventually be conquered, Since the Lord was with them, but would such a conquest be enough to restore David's trust in Joab? Continue listening for chapter 18.